0: Come on with it. Hey, y'all. This is ChiggerTiki, and welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you being here. I knew of a Presbyterian minister who, when he got tangled up in church bureaucracy, would say, Jesus was smart. He got out before the wheels came off. I think I know what he meant. I've spent over 40 years working in two central institutions in our society, 25 years in the church, and now 16 and counting in public education. It occurs to me that neither the church nor public education began as a bureaucracy. Both began as missions. For the church, the mission was to spread Christ's love to the ends of the earth, For public schools, the mission was to educate every child, regardless of status. Both missions are enormously honorable. Loving one another helps us to be who we are meant to be, and educating our children to be clear thinkers and learners can only improve society over time. But in both cases, the church and public education, it didn't take long for the mission to descend into bureaucracy. And when that happens, the mission gets put on the back burner. The front burner becomes all about keeping the bureaucracy alive. In the New Testament, by the time you get to the book of Acts, which chronicles the church right after Jesus' resurrection, the mission of spreading Jesus' love is already turning into a squabble over political authority. You get a dialogue that goes something like, yeah, 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 we're going to spread the gospel, but first we've got to figure out who's in charge here. I say it's me, which fetches the response, oh yeah, who made you boss? I say it's me, and amid the shouting and jockeying for power, the mission of spreading Christ's love gets lost. Something similar happened in public education. In the beginning, a couple of centuries ago, people like Horace Mann advocated for educating every child. This mission prevailed in state legislatures across the nation. Schools were built. Teachers were hired. America's rate of literacy and numeracy increased dramatically. It wasn't long, however, before people were saying things like, yeah, 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 we've got to ed- educate every kid, but first we've got to figure out who's in charge. I say it's me. And the bureaucracy was off and running. Down south, we have a coiling, climbing vine called Kudzu, K-U-D-Z-U. Once it gets started, you can't stop it. It'll cover your yard, climb up over your house, it'll even gift wrap telephone poles. Bureaucracies behave like kudzu. Once they get started, they grow and grow and cover up everything in sight. It starts with the notion of, we gotta figure out who's in charge here. And then when someone does take the reins, well, you gotta have an assistant to the honcho, and then an assistant to the assistant. Then you'll need an organizational flowchart, and you'll need to create an assistant to the assistant of the assistant. And one day somebody will want to do something that is part and part of the original, original mission, and they'll be told, "Nope, nope, can't do that. That's not approved. It isn't in the rule book." Yep, Jesus was smart. He got out before the wheels came off, or before the kudzu grew out of control. A few years back in public education, we started to realize that we had lost our sense of mission. And so it became the thing for administrators and teachers to get together and craft school mission statements. In doing this, there was general agreement that the most important people in the mission were the students. In education, we love the buzzword stakeholder. And so, we always identify students as the, quote, primary stakeholders, which is to say that it's for them that this entire effort of public education is undertaken. But that's more in theory than in practice. I hate to say this, but in many respects, the students come at the bottom of the list of priorities. Over the past few years, I've thought a lot about this. I've tried to look at public education from a variety of angles, and I can never get around this disturbing fact. The farther a professional educator gets away from the students, the more power and money that educator will receive. I'm going to say that again because I really want you to think about it. The more distance educators put between themselves and students, the more power and money they earn. That's what the kudzu of bureaucracy has done to public education. This past week on social media and on chiggerticky.com, I posted a little bit of homework for my listeners. It's an organizational flowchart that I devised. You can also see it on the podcast show notes for this episode. It's really kind of a map of the bureaucracy of public education. I'll describe it if you're not looking at it. In the middle, you will see a four-level pyramid. The top level is what I call chief administrators. These are at the very top of the pyramid. These are your school superintendents and their assistants. These are the folks who set policy and who coordinate the bureaucracy. At the level just below them, you'll find school principals and their assistants. Then at the level beneath that, the third level down, you'll find the teachers and the teacher's aides. And finally, at the very bottom are the students. So there's your pyramid. If you're not looking at the chart right now, I hope you have a mental image of it. At the peak, of the pyramid, chief administrators. Beneath them, school principals. Just below them, classroom teachers and aides, and at the very bottom, students. Now, on the chart, to the left of the pyramid, you'll see two categories and to the right, two more categories. Let's start on the left. The first category on the left is power and influence on policy. You'll notice that this power and influence on policy is concentrated at the top and diminishes as you move down the pyramid. This is not uncommon for a bureaucracy. The next category is salary level. Again, it's concentrated at the top and diminishes as you move down toward the bottom. Now, over on the right side of the pyramid are two more categories, and these are two that I find especially interesting. The first one is average years experience in the classroom. This one works inversely from the two on the left, and this one, people in the higher portion of the pyramid, chief administrators and principals, on average have fewer years experience in the classroom than do teachers and students. Now, the final category is essentially how long has it been since the educator was last in the classroom. And here is where we see that in the case of administrators and and principals, on average, it's been a bit more than a minute since they were last responsible for the day-to-day activities of a classroom. Again, this is not unusual in bureaucracy that the people on the front lines who are engaged in the original mission would have less power and influence and be paid less than those behind the lines who are in charge. But this is also where bureaucracy gets into trouble. This is where the wheels come off. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify something. Please listen to this carefully. Chief administrators and principals, at least the ones I know, are very decent and good people. They entered professional education because they love kids and they want to build better futures for them. Chief administrators and principals tend to be talented, good-hearted people. My beef is not with them. It's with the system, the structure, the bureaucracy, the kudzu. That's what I have a problem with. And now I'm going to give you just one example. I could give you many of how dysfunctional this bureaucracy has become. In the middle school where I teach, we are required to give students four standardized tests Per year. If you don't know, a standardized test is an assessment, usually created by a national testing company that makes billions of dollars, given to students across a broad number of schools, sometimes across the nation. Perhaps the two most famous standardized tests are the SAT and the ACT, but there are lots of them. We give four of them every year. One at the beginning one at the middle, and two at the end of the year. And the preparation, training, and then testing itself subtracts about a week of regular classroom learning and instruction per test. That means a month of instruction and learning is lost given over to standardized testing. Now, in my school, I do not know of one teacher, not one, Who thinks we should be giving four standardized tests a year. And certainly none of the students think we should. We, teachers and students, who live day in and day out in the classroom, know that this is a royal waste of time. But this is not our decision. It is literally above our pay grade. It comes from those at the highest levels of the bureaucracy—those who are farthest removed, both in time and physical distance, from the classroom. Again, I want to be clear. I don't think they're making these decisions because they're mean and heartless people. They're not. I'm sure they're making these decisions with good intentions. And I think I understand how it works. It goes something like this. The farther removed you are from daily direct contact with students, the more you lose sight of students' individual uniquenesses. If, on the other hand, you are daily in the midst of students, you will see them differently than will those who are removed from them. I can tell you from my own experience that by only a couple of weeks into a school year, Dozens of things have happened in my classes that show me that the 80 to 100 kids I teach are starkly and uniquely different from one another. They see the world differently from one another, learn differently, respond with differing emotional patterns. For me, each of my students is like an unfolding novel or autobiography, wonderfully different, and their names, to me, mean rich and profoundly different things. If I don't have this daily experience with a variety of students, then my mental image of students automatically starts to melt into a hazy, generic, uniform student. And that is what happens when you're removed from daily contact with students. But in every educator, including administrators, there is the desire to recognize students as individuals. But what happens is this. For administrators, without the daily direct experience with students, well, these administrators begin to see students as data points. How can I tell one student from the others? Test them. Look at their varying scores. That'll help help me to see who they are. If I can see them on a spreadsheet, the data will show me their differences. Here's a thought experiment. Imagine yourself in a place where there are students, teachers, principals, and chief administrators. Consider it sort of, sort of like a cocktail party. I know it's probably not right to have students at cocktail parties, but imagine that kind of environment. Now pay attention as you mill through the group. Pay attention to who in this group is talking about data. I guarantee you it's not the students and it's not the teachers. It's the chief administrators and the principals. They're gathered together. They're talking about data. They want to talk to everybody about data a lot. But folks, the data is not a good and accurate reflector of the uniqueness and difference in the students. But it's only natural that administrators would want to deal in data because it's about the only way they have to regularly relate to students as individuals. They got into the profession because they love students and they want to be involved in their lives. Unfortunately, the bureaucracy, the kudzu, has grown and spread in such a way that they are removed from the daily lives of students. And that's a shame as much for the administrators as for anyone. But wait a minute. If you think I'm suggesting we don't need chief administrators and principals, well, I need to straighten that one out. We do need them. And most of them are in those positions because they have gifts for planning, organization, leadership, and ships need people at the helm. But could there be a way to ensure that these administrators are engaged in classroom experience. Could there be a way in which chief administrators and principals could occasionally be responsible for teaching students? Maybe not for the whole year, maybe not every single year, but often enough so that when they start making policy that teachers and students are expected to carry out, well... They would have a more realistic idea of how those policies will or won't work in a real classroom with real students. You know, back in the old days, when we were closer to the original mission, before the kudzu of bureaucracy had taken over everything, headmasters, which would later be called principals, actually taught classes. So they always had in mind an image of students interacting with specific lessons on a daily basis. They always had in mind the variety of types and uniquenesses in the way the students learned. They always had a fresh idea of what it was like to be a teacher in charge of a classroom. I think we need to reform education so that everyone, everyone in the business is directly engaged on a daily basis with our primary stakeholders, the ones for whom we originally undertook the mission. Yes, the students. If we want to be true to the original mission, the students need to live live and in person before every single educator at every level. That's my story and it's sticking to me. Everybody who can hear my voice right now is wonderful. Thank you for being here. Don't forget to visit me at chiggerticky.com. I would love for you to email me at chiggerticky at gmail.com. And I hope you'll be back next time. Be kind to one another. Yeah, Ezra, be excellent to one another. Y'all come on with it.